Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the Onside Kick Family Hour, SB Nation's NFL podcast. With me today, I'm Ryan Van Biver, your host. With me today, as always, are Stephen White and Danny Kelly. How are you today, guys? Doing well. Doing great. Excellent. Good to hear. Well, we're um, almost officially one week away from the NFL draft, so uh, it's it's busy, 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 busy. We uh, pushed out the big draft preview yesterday, so... If anyone needs to get caught up, uh, just hop over to the website and check that out. It's got everything from team needs and scouting reports to player rankings and all kinds of good stuff. So hit that up. It's going get to uh, get you up to speed with a week to go here. It's, a, it's, it's important reading because obviously this is what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks, except for a little break for the schedule release. Did you guys celebrate the schedule release last <laughs> night? Yeah, that was exciting stuff. I actually missed the very beginning of it, so I kind of missed all the fanfare. I'm sure, you know, there were uh, people singing and, and uh, <laughs> clanging bells and fireworks going off and all that good stuff. I think they covered it for like three or four hours or something, it, didn't they? It was a three-hour show on the um, NFL Network and only two That's hours amazing. on ESPN. So <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, how do you make a show out of a schedule? It, it, <laughs> It, it, they, the NFL is king, with, without a doubt. Hands. Imagine trying to make a show out of the baseball schedule. Oh, I mean, you just you can't Who even imagine. Who on earth that. will watch that? But <laughs> I mean, but we found a way to do it with football. It's crazy. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, the whole NFL network, and I know their ratings go up and down. But I mean, and I know baseball has a network, and NBA has a network, and you know, they I do? guess NHL does. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's sort of that NFL, man. They command that, you know, with that Thursday night package, they've really been able to kind of strong arm a lot of cable companies and get that network on, you know, on a lot of diff- on a lot of basic cable systems and a lot of, you know, of that second or third tier cable packages that a lot of people subscribe to. So it's, uh, I mean, you're right, Stephen. It, it's king, and you're just going to see, it's like the veteran combine. I mean, who would have thought the veteran combine would have been anything to even remotely pay attention to? Even last year, but by God, they did it, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Against all odds. I'm sure they'll do it again next year, probably. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure, man. They'll probably bring Tim Tebow into that one. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we've really had our fill of Tebow talk. I think that's probably oh. more than enough Tebow talk for the season already <laughs> right there. I do love the, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but the, the email that Evan Mathis got from some conspiracy theorist. Oh, yeah. oh, that was what, seriously what amazing. I didn't see it. What, what happened? It was essentially a, I guess this guy has emailed Evan Mathis several times about <laughs> diff- different conspiracies related to the Illuminati, the Freemasons, the, the Jews, and you know, down the line, the typical conspiracy theories you get and how they're all related to Tebow. And, uh, and like, it's, it's really, it's like a lucid, it's lucid, well-written, but it's like the craziest stuff you'd ever imagine. It's actually hilarious. Wonderful. <laughs> oh, man. A few comments I, it was probably spelled. I think it was spelled too correctly to possibly be Watch yeah, way too way too good of grammar. Like, like, and they knew their stuff about the Illuminati, man. Let me tell you what. Yeah, they were well versed. 
<laughs> Always a good time. I, I think just people just dust off their same Tebow tweets that they've had for like, you know, the last four years or so and start <laughs> rolling them out. I bet Preet Prisco has those things in, saved in draft just in case. You know he does. You know he does. He's just waiting. Any <laughs> sniff of telling Tebow, he just gets them ready. You know what's funny is I wrote that article like last week about the 2010 draft and how it kind of shaped – uh, the NFL going forward and um, our, and our, I can't remember exactly. I can't remember what year Tebow was drafted, but basically I made an off comment that saying he was the only guy in that draft class. I think it was 2011. Um, 10. Two, okay. Well, yeah. Sam and, Bradford year. Yeah. So he was the only guy in that class that was out of the NFL based on performance because I guess job at best is he retired, but so I was talking about how great that class was minus Tebow. And then, of course, like it get, in the comment section, there's like this like 200 plus comment like argument about Tebow. And then like a couple of days later, Tebow gets signed. So I, I guess you could, you could blame it on me. It's all Danny's fault. That's what we have to thank Danny for. Well, thanks a lot, Danny. Yeah. Well, let's jump in. Let's let's jump in. We got some. We've got quite a bit to talk about today, and with the draft, you know, like I said, eight days away, it's uh, it's only going to snowball from here on out. So, we collected some questions on Twitter. We collected a few, a, a bunch of good good questions for the three of us on our email thread ahead of this. So, I, you know, let's just dive in and hit it. Let's start with something that's kind of sort of news today. Uh, Marvin Lewis got a contract extension, just a one-year contract extension that, that covers him for 2016. But uh, it, I, I think at this point it's safe to say that Marvin Lewis might have that job in perpetuity like a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> yeah, what does he have on uh, Mike Brown? Probably the right asking price. <laughs> well, there you, you know go. What? They're both comfortable with each other, I think. Yeah. I think that uh, Mike Brown knows that if he gets another coach and brings him in, that coach is going to be asking for a lot more than Marvin Lewis does every year. Yeah. You know, Marvin Lewis, on the other hand, knows he's not going to get all the tools and pieces he needs to succeed all the time. But by the same token, he's not going to get thrown out in the streets, you know, just after one bad season. Yeah. So I think they're just kind of comfortable with each other. And like you said, that could, you know, definitely go on for another five, ten years. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and getting to the playoffs, and it's not easy. I mean, you know, you look at yeah. – everybody kind of dumps on Andy Dalton, and, it's you know, there's sort of obvious reasons for that. But it's, you know, what they – you know, Andy Dalton works well during the regular season, and by God, they make it they make it hum, and they've done that with a couple different offensive coordinators now, and that's impressive. Now, you go to those playoff games, and it's not always Andy Dalton's fault, and, and you look at how somebody had a breakdown of it, and I can't think of what exactly what it was, but the Bengals had been outscored in the second half of playoff games the last, like, five years by just some, I mean, just some ungodly margin, just something <laughs> ridiculous like that. So I think that's probably where you get more, like, uh, you know, the, where, where people can criticize Marvin Lewis for what's going on as opposed to just Andy Dalton in the playoffs. This kind of feels like a reverse Harbaugh. You know how Harbaugh kind of, I mean, apart from the whole personality thing and stuff is coming out about how he was kind of crazy and everything. Well, we all knew he was crazy, but um, <laughs> I think, you know, people were saying he couldn't win, he couldn't win the Super Bowl. He couldn't win the NFC Championship. And, you know, as long as you're not winning the Super Bowl, that's not good enough. And that was kind of like the Yorks thing, like, um, 
you know, a lot of San Francisco fans were pissed because he was consistently giving them very, you know, competitive teams, you know, making it to the playoffs. And, you know, like you said, making it to the playoffs, especially in the AFC North, is not an easy thing. And they, I think they've done it five out of six years. And um, so I guess maybe Mike Brown sees this as, like, consistent success. You know, obviously they're not winning uh, playoff games or whatever, but ju- they see just getting to the playoffs as a success. And it's really difficult in this league. And, um, you know, I, John Schneider, the Seahawks GM, he's, he always he said this several times this offseason that the league pushes you back to eight and eight. Because it's such a parity-driven league, and the ability to you know consistently get back to the playoffs—that's that's that is something. Hey, he's got you know that's more than Jeff Fisher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. I think we've uh, we've exhausted the Marvin Lewis conversation for the day. So let's uh, let's jump into some draft talk here. Um, I, I saw Todd McShay released a mock draft today, and I think the biggest surprise on it was he had Todd Gurley going as the sixth overall pick to the New York Jets. And then a, a little bit later, you had Charles Robinson uh, from Yahoo, who's who's pretty well connected on the agent beat. I mean, he's had some scoops and stuff through the offseason, through free agency. So I thought it was kind of notable that he said that uh, that McShay wasn't just kind of making that up and, and penciling yeah. that in there on his own. And then there's a lot of buzz for... Todd Gurley to be a top 10 pick all of a sudden. Are you guys buying that? Well, I would. Uh, You know, they they said that with the medical rechecks of his knee, uh, that he got good news back. Mm -hmm. And this guy is, I don't even really know if there's a good word for what he looks like when he's running the football and he's healthy. But he looks like a man amongst boys. Uh, Cliche, whatever you want to call it, it's the truth. I mean, he's like that one kid that everybody wants to see his birth certificate in Pee Wee football. Because he just, <laughs> you know, it just, you know, you can't really be the same age as these other kids. And, and, but it, but he's consistently that way when he's healthy. It's just, you know, you gotta wonder about the knee. But if you feel comfortable that his knee is fine, I, I don't see how he doesn't go in the top ten. Yeah, and he's, I mean, he's, like you said, he's just a talented cat, and you don't see that, you know, he's that running back you just don't see coming into the NFL very often that's, uh, that you could make your 25 carries a game type guy. The crazy thing, he's he's only 21, too. Like, he just turned 21. <clears throat> so he's got, like, you know, I don't know what the exact range is for prime in, in terms of running backs, but he's he's got a couple of years to get back to health, like, full health, full speed, and he's still going to be, like, not even in his prime yet. So, um, I, I mean, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Honestly, I think uh, I just did a study on uh, Gurley and Gordon and kind of who was better. And, you know, to me, it was just like Gurley was clearly the top back in this draft. I know that some people had wondered if Gordon would get picked first because of the knee, the Gurley knee issue. But, I mean, the guy is just a freak. Uh he, he, when I was watching him, he reminded me of about you know a 230 pound Jamal Charles. That's kind of how he run, like runs, like smooth gait. You know, he's just like uh, if you give him a, an inch, like he he's like gone. You know, yeah. he's around he's around the corner. He's through a little crease in the inside, and he's gone. So um, yeah, I, wouldn't, I know wouldn't he's not supposed to compare people to legends, but he Bo Jackson. I, I, I yeah. mean, he's, that's who he is. Bo Jackson, a little bit. Not quite as powerful, but pretty damn close, Bo Jackson. Yeah, and that's, you know, I'm sure you don't say that lightly either. 
Right. It, not at all. Yeah. But, I mean, it, I just seen him do it to too many different players. You know, you see him do it to one or two different teams or whatever, you figure maybe those guys just weren't that good. But when he's doing it to every single team running around you or through you, I mean, <laughs> you are who you are. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, and I was talking to somebody else about this today. It's like there's kind of um, – you saw this a little bit in free agency with the contracts that the running backs got, especially I think with Ingram and Spiller in New Orleans, and then you know the whatever the whatever stew Chip Kelly's cooking up there in Philadelphia. But <laughs> you see it on the field too, and you see it with Marshawn Lynch. You saw it with Frank Gore over the years. It's just the running backs aren't dead. Everyone wants to yeah. run off the running back, but man, running backs are just as important, if not a little bit more important, than they have been in the last five years, and. They're not necessarily the centerpiece of an offense like, you know, uh, Emmett or, or Barry Sanders was back in the, their days. But, but you know, they can, they can be important weapons in today's NFL. And that's kind of – that goes against just the surface thinking of like, hey, man, the NFL is a passing league. you got to be able to chuck the ball and you got to have top wide receivers and you got to be able to air it out like that. But, you know, you see these running backs now, and there's sort of a miniature resurgence of that. Is that is that a change in the game, or is that because defenses have have adapted so much to stopping the pass? I think well, there's I think, a yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, I was just I gonna say. I, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Danny, go. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I think there is a little bit of a mini resurgence, whether you want to call it a uh, you know. I think the NFL as everyone always says, it's a copycat league. And if you look at some of the teams that have done so well in the past couple of years, like the Seahawks, 49ers, Ravens, you know, Patriots, obviously, you know, those teams have running games and they have good running backs. And so I think there's maybe not a resurgence, but just like a, a return to focus on, on running in the running game and, and having a, a really, really talented running back is, is a big deal. Like, but the Seahawks, they would have been a totally different team without Marshawn Lynch. And so um, I think, you know, you can see maybe the teams are realizing that having a, a true platoon or a true running back by committee isn't necessarily the best thing. And, um, you know, when you have a guy who's able to break tackles and uh, hit a home run at pretty much any time in a game, that's that's a pretty big deal. And, um, yeah, I, I, it just wouldn't surprise me at all to see Gurley go top ten. And, you know, I, I think also – uh, some of this talk about the running back is dead were from people who felt like you could get a running back anywhere in the draft and they would be sufficient. You know, you yeah. can get a fourth round pick or what have you. You don't have to get them in the first round. But I think that, that's kind of a faulty way of, of, of thinking of it. Yeah, sure. Every once in a while, every blue moon, uh, some later round pick is going to, to, to do well. But that's any position, you know. Look at Tom Brady, of course. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. at the same time, you need that lead dog. You need that one guy, that bell cow, uh, uh, kind of leading your troops. And so, if you can get him, go ahead and get him as soon as you can. And and now, in fairness, there hasn't been a Todd Gurley in the last few drafts anyway. But once you have one of those guys, you know, a guy who could truly be a uh, uh, perennial all-pro, maybe future Hall of Famer, I, I, I just think it, you'll be stupid not to take them as soon as you possibly could. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, talent's talent, whether it's at running back or wide receiver or whatever position you think, and, and it's just hard to overlook talent. And I think, you know, one thing that impresses me about NFL and watching some of the offensive coaches nowadays, too, is the are the ones that get 
creative with the running game that figure out how to kind of, you know, it's not like, you know, with a Calvin Johnson, it's, it's easy. I mean, the guy's just so talented. You throw him the ball and he's getting, you know, there's a good chance. There's a 70% chance he's going to catch it no matter where you put it. Mm-hmm. But you get guys like, you know, a running back out there and, and you design plays that, you know, can take advantages of the holes in a defense and, and they find the space. You get a guy in space. It's, it's the Sproles McCoy mix that, you know, you saw in Philadelphia and I don't, God knows what that'll be this year, but it's just that, that creative offensive play calling that takes advantage of that. And then you have the parts and the players to do it. Yeah. I mean, when you have a team like that's gearing up to, to stop like a really, you know, a smash mouth guy, he's that pain in the ass to tackle, you know, every time you have to go, go at him, you know, he, you're, ha- you're have to like brace for contact and then, you know, have a guy the next play that can run right around you. It's just, I think it's hard on the defense when they have to um, take different pursuit angles. They have to take different approaches to tackling and things like that. And so having that change up is, is, is nice. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to move on to another player in the draft that's sort of snuck up draft boards lately thanks to a little uh what i would say maybe some help from mel kuyper here but uh our todd mcshay <laughs> whoever you want to say thank you to but uh ucf's wide receiver brichard perryman um a guy you know um because he had a really impressive 40 time um he seems like sort of this year's maybe he's become this year's al davis kind of pick but he was mocked to the rams at number 10 in one of those guys' most recent mock drafts. And uh, it seems like his value has really skyrocketed just all of a sudden. He's that guy that kind of climbs up the, the draft board out of nowhere, or at least in the media's version of the draft board, out of nowhere, you know, in the middle of April with just a few weeks to go to the draft. Are you guys a little surprised by that? Well, you know, they say that it only takes one team to fall in love with you for you to go in the first round. And I think with Brashard Perriman, because he has that outstanding speed, that one thing that you can't coach, uh, invariably uh, you would think there might be one team in the first round, no matter where they're picking it, that will fall in love with him and just be like, you know, maybe he was underutilized uh, in college. We'll be the ones to, to, you know, maximize his potential. And he's a big kid too. He's not, you know, small at all. Yeah. So uh, you look at that and, if, if it's a team that needs a wide receiver that can take the top off a of defense and be a dynamic receiver, I, I, I could see them maybe reaching. But top 10, man, that would be just – that would be amazing to me. I, I just <laughs> I, I, – it would be hard for me to kind of believe that until I saw it. I really just I, – I, I just can't believe that he would go that high. I could see somebody in the late part of the first round. Yeah. Reaching, but, you know, the, the team's picking that high usually – have a bunch of needs, not just one. And I can't see Brashard Perriman being the foundation of a turnaround for a team that's picking in the top ten. Yeah, and it's funny that to see him that he was mocked to the Rams and and with the tenth pick in one of those guys' mock drafts because you know the first thing that popped into my head is the Rams' recent history of drafting receivers. I mean, they traded up to the eighth spot to get Tavon Austin in twenty thirteen. And, you know, he's turned into, you know, uh, a below-average wide receiver and an above-average punt returner. But that was the eighth overall pick they gave up to get him. And then you got Brian Quick, who, you know, they picked over Alshon Jeffrey in the 2012 draft. So this, like, I was not in the least bit surprised with him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If this guy is the next DHB, there is at least 
you know, a 50% chance that the Rams will draft him and then wonder what the hell happened to their offensive, you know, core of playmakers like that. <laughs> it would be the most Rams pick ever. But I'm just cynical. I guess. <laughs> is there is there another are there another highly rated player? I know Steven, you've done the whole series with scouting reports and we've got some more in the can coming up just to give uh our listeners a heads up, but is there another highly rated player that you guys are skeptical of? You know, I doing the whole Gordon Gurley comp last week. It's not that I'm low on on Gordon, but I, I don't know for sure if I see him as a true number, uh, you know, first round pick. Um, I'm sure you know Wisconsin fans have their you know arguments about that, of course. But um, I just didn't see the inside, you know, physical presence there. You know, he kind of got hung up at the line, like on a lot of inside runs, and that kind of concerned me. And then one of his favorite things to do is bounce outside. And in the NFL, obviously the speed is a little bit different there. So will that be something that translates to the NFL? Obviously I think he's a physical specimen, really, really talented athlete. Um, But I kind of question, you know, whether he'll still be picked in the first round and and if that will be a good pick. So I think, you know, he's one guy, obviously DHB or uh, not DHB. uh, DHB. Yes. Darrell Green Beckham, he's obviously a huge risk just because of um, all the off-field stuff. And then obviously in, in college, he didn't have the greatest production. I think he only had eight, 87 catches in college. So you're definitely projecting you know, forward, hoping he's going to be a better pro than his college player. Um, so I think those are the two guys I'm kind of, that have been consistently dra- uh, mocked in the first round that I'm a little bit leery of. Now, Stephen, uh, just going back to some of your scouting reports on the other guys that you've kind of watched, is there are there a player or two that comes to mind that, that fits that bill for you that maybe you see them getting drafted maybe a little higher or that you're leery of sort of the hype around them? Probably Randy Gregory. Um, Randy Gregory was a, a, a guy that when I was breaking them down did not have the kind of production or uh, pass rush moves that I figured he was going to have considering he was at the top of most people's edge rusher list mm-hmm. at the top two or three or what have you. Uh, then he's got the weight issue. And look, if you can't gain weight smoking as much weed as evidently he <laughs> you have got a damn problem. So you put those two together, either you're going to let him smoke weed and hope he finally gets up, gets up to 260 pounds without getting popped, or you're going to cut his weed supply off, and he might be 210 pounds by the fall. <laughs> so, for me, I, I mean, seriously now, this is a major concern. Uh, some guys cannot gain weight, and he's going to need to. I think, uh, you know, the line in my breakdown about him was, does he have enough ass to kick ass? Yeah. And, and I, I, right now, he definitely does not. And so, the weight issue, the fact that he needs a lot of technique work, the, uh, the fact that he's not strong enough either. You know, some guys are just kind of, rangy he's not that rangy guy either and then the weed issue off the field i I just think that is a very risky pick but people are going to look at his combine numbers and he is very athletic in space and i think somebody's going to reach for him and they're going to end up being disappointed down the road yeah it's an interesting he's an interesting guy because i mean you know like you said i mean this is a guy that most people say you know top 10 pick i mean most people have there's some people that have him you know, in the top two or three pass rushers available, right up there with Leonard Williams and Dante Fowler. I mean, that's sort of interesting to see him mocked up there. So, uh, 
I know it's always interesting when the draft rolls around, you get those guys that just look like can't miss type players in, in March. And then lo and behold, the season rolls around and, and you know, they're, they're, uh, they're Jarvis Jones all of a sudden. Yeah. It happens every year. Almost every year. Anyway, I remember, I remember thinking, man, Vernon Goulson, safest pick in the draft. Ever. <laughs> yeah. Whatever year that was, I think it was that 08 or 09. I can't remember. That's one of those. It's been a while since that pick, but, uh, I still wonder about that kid, too. I just wonder if he'd have gone to a 4-3 if he'd have done any better. I yeah. just feel like he lost confidence with Rex. Now, yeah. Rex is the type of coach to me that if you excel, he's a perfect coach for you because he's going to, you know, say all the right things to get you going and show you the support. But if you don't, if you're not a guy that balls out, he's also the kind that can kind of make, kind of destroy you. Just kind of, you know, tear you down so much that you lose all confidence. So, uh, I just wonder, you know, I think he was trying to come back recently, uh, but I, I just still wonder about that kid because it doesn't make any sense, really, yeah. how he could be that bad with those kind of physical skills. And I, heard, I had somebody tell me he was lazy, even though, you know, he had those crazy bench numbers and stuff, which I never, I never <laughs> in my life have I seen somebody that was that strong and was lazy at the same time. Just <laughs> doesn't seem to go together. <laughs> You know, and I think that's one thing. People get confused with that. I mean, I think people use the word lazy, and sometimes they're just guys that aren't as motivated to play football. Now, I don't know about Goulson in particular, but I remember Jason Smith, the offensive tackle out of Baylor that the Rams played. And, you know, the guy just didn't really want to play football all that much. And it wasn't that he was lazy. It wasn't that, you know, he didn't give a shit about it. It just wasn't, you know, you, you talk to people after the fact, and football was just not a priority for that kid. And, and you wonder... I mean, you can look at the talent stuff, you can look at the weight stuff, you can look at the fit stuff with players, but there's also that, you know, that mental factor as, as if, if a kid's head's in the game or not. And, and when you're in the NFL, your head's really got to be in the game because, you know, it's not like somebody's going to be there to take care of you. You're a grown-ass man, and you've got to kind of be a grown-ass man on your own and, and, and when you get to practice and, and be ready to play on Sundays. And that's something the Seahawks talked about last year a lot, you know, uh... This is one of those draft cliches, but uh, they look for guys with grit. And it's not, you know. It's, it's not just those... Danny Woodhead. <clears throat> it, yeah, it's not just a cliche version. It's like they look for guys that have overcome a lot of adversity in their career, in their college career. You know, whether it's, you know, major injuries that they had to come back from or, you know, you know issues in their personal life that they've had to overcome. Because they want guys who are, you know, like in love with football and, and live for football and will do anything to be better and get better and, and come back from, from adversity because, you know, uh, injuries are a part of the game and adversity is part of the game. You know, once you get to the NFL, you're going to fail. It's not like an easy road. So I think that's something that they've looked for. And I think, you know, obviously they're not the only team that does that. So it's one of those things. It's like a psychological evaluation. And obviously those are not, uh, you know, perfect. So it's one of those things that, that's what. That's one way teams can get an edge and and obviously miss on guys if if they miss on that psych at eval. I want to. I'm going to go back, Stephen. I want to ask you. You mentioned in one of your breakdowns this year, you had a, a really interesting take on a guy's motor and how when we talk about a player's motor, how we're you know talk. Can you just go back over that again? I don't. I mean, I don't want to rehash it right here because it's a really interesting point. I think it's better if you make it, but it's just like how we talk about a player's motor and how we perceive a player's motor when we look at them on the field. Right. Uh, you, 
in general, what I have found is that when people talk up a guy's motor, it's almost like they're saying, bless his heart. You know, it, it, it's the nicest thing they can find to say about them because they don't want to talk about how much, how average they are as a player. And so they just play up, oh, well, he goes, don't know, don't worry about what he's doing. He goes hard, though. You know, he goes really hard and, you know, he, he's blue collar and, all, you know, and that's great <laughs> and everything. For me, I guess because of how I was taught in at Tennessee and in the NFL here in Tampa, I just expect a certain level of effort. And so anything below that is just not good enough. So, it, you know, it, for you to impress me with your effort, I mean, it's got to be way above and beyond what everybody else is doing. Like, you got to be passing guys up on the way to the football, play after play after play, because I expect for everybody to run to the football. When you don't, to me, that's a loaf. And so, now, when I got to school, when I got to college, I didn't really know what a loaf was. You know, you're coming from high school, your coach doesn't have time to really, you know, coach everybody up on effort every single play. But when we got there, Larry Lacewell was actually my first defensive coordinator uh, at Tennessee. Uh -huh. Long-time Cowboys uh, personnel guy now. And he actually put tape up and showed us uh, examples of what was ex uh, uh, what was uh, the kind of effort that was acceptable and what wasn't. And so they literally taught us about not loafing when, when I first got to school. And so I'm just used to seeing guys run around with somebody Usually says uh, to me, well, you know, he, he's he's an extra effort guy or something like that. I just assume that they suck because I figure <laughs> if you had something better to lead with, you would have done so. So, uh, but you know, every once in a while, you'll see a guy that really does go above and beyond, and that was I think that was the Shane Ray uh, uh, breakdown because he really does. You see him passing guys up, play out the, from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. His effort actually does stand out on film. Yeah, and that's a good way to think about it too. I, I like I, it's it's good to hear that perspective on that because it's just people toss around that word and that idea so much this time of year, and it really I, and I don't think it you know when most people say it, it doesn't have a lot of meaning to it. You know, you've got to sort of dig a little deeper to see that and, and have that perspective too. So, um, all right, let's see. We've got a. It looks like we've got a reader submission question. This is from our friends over at the Falcoholic. Um, who is the best fit for the Falcons out of the top pass rusher options? Steven, you've broken down most of the top pass rushers. Who do you see right. as a good fit for the Falcons in Dan Quinn's new idea of their defense? Well, I think uh, the top guy, of course, is Vic Beasley because he's the top edge rusher in the draft, period. I think that he would come in and, and fit right into their defense. It's just a matter of if he's going to make it that low. Mm -hmm. uh, the next best guy is probably going to be uh, Dante Fowler Jr. And there's probably going to be some things that Dante Fowler Jr. may excel at better than Vic Beasley initially uh, in terms of uh, kind of being a hybrid, a guy that's going to do some some uh, dropping into coverage and maybe blitzing on different places and stuff like that. He might fit a little bit uh, better in some of that stuff than Vic Beasley. He just won't be the best pass rusher. And I think the, the Falcons above all else are still trying to replace um, uh, uh, the guy I played with. Uh, 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 oh, what's his name? Abraham. Hey, John Abraham from a couple of years ago. And they still need that 
dominant pass rusher. So I think if Vic Beasley is available to them uh, at the point where they are going to pick, I think they'll run up on stage in Chicago and turn that card in. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and now, Danny, I want to ask you, since you obviously are familiar with Dan Quinn and his approach to defense, mm-hmm. are, you know, one thing he's talked a little bit about is the Leo position. Is that, right. I mean, are, you know, is that somebody they have on the roster? Is that somebody you think maybe that they need to prioritize with their first round pick? And I'm looking here now to see where the Falcons are picking exactly because I couldn't remember off the top of my head. And they're picking eighth in the draft. So they have a top 10 pick, but not a top five pick where, you know, Beasley and Fowler are most likely to go. Right. I, you know, I think they don't have a pure Leo on the, on the roster, at least not like anyone who you'd expect to be in a starting role. <clears throat> so I think that's something that they're going to have to look for. And I think that's obviously been something that, you know, people at the Falcoholic have been d- discussing ad nauseum. Um, you know, if they miss, if they miss their chance at number eight, they go somewhere else, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, defensive tackle receiver or whatever, what have you, um, you know, there's a couple guys in the second round that could play that role if they last that long, you know, it depends on how far Bud Dupree falls. He's a, he's a guy that could, could be an option there. Eli Harold's another guy that could be an option, kind of these athletic, uh, you know, hybrid style guys like tweeners, almost like guys that could be often, uh, outside linebackers, but also defensive ends. Um, and then, you know, with Dan Quinn, he, he got so much track, he got so much, uh, mileage out of Michael Bennett last year that um, you could even see him go in the direction of getting a, a bigger guy that's more like a like a, a defensive tackle, defensive end, hybrid. Um, you know, another guy whose name is Michael Bennett is a guy that, you know, could be an option. Uh, Ohio State's Michael Bennett. Um, you know, Preston Smith is a guy who he could play inside and outside and, and sort of do that dual role that Michael Bennett played for the Seahawks last year. So I could see that Michael Bennett sort of role mm-hmm. maybe trumping the leo role you know in terms of importance they could get a guy who can play the leo spot on on third downs you know nickel packages and, and just rush the passer and then have you know another guy like michael bennett style play on base downs and that's kind of what the seahawks have done the last couple of years and so you know i don't really know how important in terms of their priorities the leo position is at this point they could maybe just get a nickel rusher in, in the mid second third fourth round that could come in and play that like Bruce Irvin pass rush on third down roll. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. I think, you know, obviously if they miss, if they don't get anybody at eight, it's going to be a lot tougher to get a guy who will come in and start immediately as a pass rusher. So um, they could go for that hybrid defensive and defensive tackle role. Definitely. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much um, wherewithal the Falcons have to trade again, but it is interesting that, you know, Quinn was actually the guy that recruited Dante Fowler to Florida. I mean, so he knows, you know, he knows that kid. I mean, he yeah, knows him really sure. well, obviously, knows what he can do. Now, I mean, obviously, the Falcons aren't Florida, but uh, it's, um, you know, that connection is, is it's, never, it's never easy to overlook that. And the Falcons, you know, they have a history of trading up in the draft to get the player they want. Yeah. And would it surprise any of you guys if, the, if Randy Gregory fell down to the second round and, and he was maybe there at the eighth pick of the second round? I bet it would surprise me a little bit if he fell into the second round. Yeah, just because of all the issues with the weed and whatnot. Yeah, I was going to say with the weed and stuff, I could see it happening. Because, yeah. look, he, he may well end up a uh, 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 failed drug test away from a suspension yeah. by the time he gets in the league. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, 
one thing I'll say, and uh, more power to the folks who uh, get help, but uh, what I know or what I have in, in, uh, experienced is if a guy can't stop smoking weed long enough to not get popped for a weed test that everybody knows he has a taste, <laughs> he has a problem, okay? If you think that all the rest of those guys at the combine never smoked weed because they didn't get popped, you're crazy. They just had enough sense to say, you know what, I'm not going to smoke for the next three months or so. And he couldn't <laughs> even do that. So that, to me, is a, is a much bigger red flag. It's not about the weed. That's what people need to understand. Right. It's not about the weed. Of course coaches know a bunch of these guys smoke weed. It's about do you have enough self-control? Do you have enough discipline to stop smoking weed when you know you're about to have a drug test? And if you don't have that kind of self-control, why would I ever draft you high and expect you to now conform to these policies that you haven't conformed to beforehand? It, it just it doesn't yeah. happen very often like that. Guys who get popped at the combine usually end up getting popped again later on. Yeah, and it's always interesting because you see too that you know that just the the Josh Gordon stuff. I mean, that's you know that's a valuable player to be missing that much time for a team, and then obviously you know the Browns have. Plenty of problems of their own making, but you know, having Josh Gordon up the creek like that sure doesn't. It, it doesn't help things on the field for the Browns to lose a talent like that. And if you're a team like the Falcons, like we just since we just mentioned them, I'll say that because they're obviously in need of a pass rusher. But man, if you draft a pass rusher with a high pick and all of a sudden you don't have him for six games out of the year, you're screwed, man. Yeah. Uh, I, and really, you remember. Uh... The Chiefs were like that uh, two years ago when uh, both of their uh, pass rushing and outside linebackers end up getting hurt. And so they end up having to get a, a, another pass rusher last year just in case. Yeah. So uh, that, that, that goes to show you they had two good pass rushers and were up the creek. If you get, if you get a guy high and he washes out, man, it's going to be trouble. <laughs> you won't you won't <laughs> be there to see who the next pass rusher will be. So uh, I, I just really – I. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit up here and say I think it's likely, but I wouldn't be shocked if it happened. Yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's just one of those things to watch. I mean, you know, if if a team does find him there in the second round, I, you know, I remember the Janoris Jenkins thing because he had obviously was a guy that slipped a first round talent that slipped in the second round. Now you could look at what he's done in the NFL and say that yeah, he probably wasn't worth a first round pick to begin with. But you know, there's a guy that. Those examples of of players sliding down in the draft for that stuff, and there's there's so many good players at other positions like wide receiver, and it's a position that every team could always use more of. So you know, yeah. if it comes down to you know Kevin White or Devontae Parker versus a guy with uh, you know who who failed the most obvious drug tests in the world, then you know I think the smart front office is going to take the take the other guy. Yeah, I, you know, I would agree with that. I think you know, it's it's just a principle, like the, like like Stephen was saying. It's a principle. It's like you want a guy who's going to be a pro, and if you're going into the combine knowing for for you know your whole life essentially that you're going to get drug tested, yeah, and you still fail, that's that's a big red flag. All right, now we are legally mandated to talk a little bit about quarterbacks, and I, I, we're going to skip the Marcus Mariota trade talk, which is sort of like occurs every day every hour <laughs> approximately but yeah. uh i do i want to ask you guys obviously Mariota, winston they're the top two quarterbacks that are going to be picked in the draft in all likelihood they're going to be the first and second picks 
in the draft on a, a, a week and a day from now. But who's the third guy off the board for you guys? The third quarterback, I should say. I'll say probably Bryce Petty. Um, you know, he sh- you obviously know he can throw the football. Yeah. He's he done a lot of that uh, at the college level. He's just going to have to get acclimated to a uh, pro-style system or at least being on the center a little bit more, reading defenses and stuff like that. But, man, I, I just really – he's pretty athletic, uh, you know, good size on him. Uh, I think he's got a really good arm. So, uh, now he probably – there's no telling where he'll go. It won't be the first round. But I think he'll be the third quarterback off the board. Yeah, yeah. and he's a guy, too, that – I mean, it's, he's probably got one of the uh, – maybe you, you factor Winston out of this, but he's probably got one of the better, you know, cannon arms of any quarterback in the draft this year. And this is a total – like, sounds like a total cop-out, but I, in terms of t- deciding who the third – quarterback off the board is i think it really depends on what team finally decides to take a quarterback after the first two i think with some of these guys you know they're they're not like you know guys that can play in any system i think you know you have guys like bryce petty huge arm he's probably more at, suited for like a, a vertical type of offense um brett hunley's another guy like that you know he's got issues with accuracy and and you know, other things, but he can, he's got a cannon arm. So maybe he can fit him into like a system like with the Cardinals or, or the, the Steelers or something like that. But uh, one guy that I kind of like is Garrett Grayson from Colorado state. I think, you know, he, his arm isn't the strongest. He kind of, um, I think his arm pales in comparison to those other two guys, but he, he's got a lot of this, the things that you look for in a quarterback, especially like if you're looking for a backup quarterback, because let's be honest, a lot of these guys are probably going to end up being backups. Um, you know he's he's got experience under under center. He's got experience in the in the pistol and in shotgun. Uh, I think he can read defenses. You know I I like how he's poised in the in the pocket. He kind of slides around and and moves up. He isn't afraid to climb the ladder in the pocket and um and he's accurate. You know he kinda, he can, he has an ability to put some touch on the football. He, he doesn't have like he's not like a one speed thrower. I kind of feel like maybe Hundley's like that a little bit. It's just like fastball or nothing. I think Garrett Grayson has a couple of different pitches and so. Um, he's, he's the guy that I could see actually going, going third behind Mariota and Winston and, and, you know, might be a kind of a surprise there. Yeah. It's a, it's a good mix. You have those three Grayson Hundley and, uh, and Petty that could uh, all be the third quarterback, depending on which team is actually the one doing the, doing the drafting. I'll, I'll, tell, yeah. I'll, I'll give you my, I think Hundley's going to be the guy, the third quarterback off the board. And I have a crazy theory that I've been chewing on for the last couple of days. <laughs> All the Eagles Mariota stuff that we just, you know, in, is incessant lately. Mm-hmm. For all that stuff, I wonder maybe a little bit, does Chip Kelly go with, uh, with Hundley, a guy he obviously knows from his Pac-12 days, has seen him, and, and maybe this is a guy that he feels is the young talent that he can mold and shape to be his franchise quarterback in, in whatever it is the Eagles are going to do and, and going to look like next year. Something to watch. All just an elaborate smokescreen. It's it's that time of year. (laughs) You know, know, the Brett Brett Hundley thing, um, I I actually, I watched his film and and I went from liking to loving to hating him all in the course of several games (laughs) because it's the craziest thing. Yeah, he has, uh, you know, some accuracy issues, uh, but man, sometimes he just drops it right in the bucket. I mean, his balls look, beautiful in the air at times. But what stood out to me was it seemed like 
he would just have these disaster plays. Like, it, it wouldn't even be a normal play. It's like some kind of way he finds a way to fumble when there's nobody even close <laughs> to him. Yeah. And, and it's like he had an inordinate amount of those kind of plays over the course of four or five games. I'm like, was he snake bitten or something? I mean, did he, <laughs> uh, you know, break a mirror or, you know, uh, knock over some salt and, and then throw it over? I don't know. But he looked very unlucky. It, it, you know, and I know that's not very scientific or what have you. But, man, he had some just horrible, horrific plays that had nothing to do with, like, reading a defense or, or being accurate or anything about quarterback and just – it's just a disaster. It's a it's it's not a great year for quarterbacks, and I no. think that's why the I think that's why we're seeing so much Mariota trade talk. Whether it's a smoke whether it's smoke screen or not, I mean, you know, there are a lot of there. What I mean, what do you think? Conservatively, half the league could arguably need use a franchise quarterback, and and you've got Mariota sitting there with the Titans on the fence over drafting him or not. So it's kind of the perfect. It's the perfect marriage of uh, of 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 truth and speculation. So it's a uh, it makes for it makes for a, a little bit of excitement prior to the draft. Here we don't have the you know we don't have a Johnny Manziel to for the media to feed on uh, <laughs> for four weeks at a time here. So all right, we do have one more question from the Peanut Gallery on Twitter here. Let's uh, take it, Danny. This is a Seahawks question. All right. What do you see as a bigger need, defensive line rotation or wide receiver starters slash backups? And which of those needs do you see being filled first in the draft? Especially an interesting question now that the Seahawks don't have a first-round pick. Yeah, you know, picking 63, that's kind of tough. But, um, you know, I think right now the Seahawks have done a really good job of, of adding a bunch of depth to their defensive line. I think they added, like, um, they went. They went out and re-signed Demarcus Dobbs. They went and re-signed Jesse Williams. A couple of these other guys that they've had in the hopper, kind of like hurt or you know just up and coming. They've got their pick last year, Cassius Marsh, still coming off the DL or the, the DL off the IR last year. And so I think, in terms of true need, I think you know I still would rather have them invest in uh, in a like a good wide receiver, especially in a deep class like this. Um, if they have a if they have a pass rusher fall to them at sixty three, I think that you have to consider that. But um, I still think that a, a really good receiver is probably a higher priority, especially considering Jermaine Curse is going into his last season. You know, you, you don't really know what you're going to get from Paul Richardson. He's coming off of an ACL injury, and that could have, you know, he's had a couple of those injuries in the past, so you just never really know how how well he's going to come back from that. Um, you know, obviously you got Jimmy Graham, but I think you still need to invest in the receiver position. And, and at 63, there's a there's a couple of guys that could still be there that you know could be potential guys that could start early and, and play well for you. So that would be my priority list. But obviously, if if a good pass rusher falls to you at 63, then you have to consider it because you could, in my opinion, you can never have enough pass rushers. Yeah, and and with the Seahawks, who knows? It'll probably be some pick out of left field that'll the guy that'll turn into the next the next superstar or something in the league. So yeah, always they're... fun to watch those those later picks from teams like the Seahawks because they're you know they're up there with the teams that kind of pull the 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 gems out of the, those parts of the draft. Yeah, they you know they have their methods and they they find these guys with one talent, one specific talent they think they can really develop, and it's worked out for them. You know. Uh, you know, Byron Maxwell is a guy that comes to mind, and and obviously Jeremy Lane and and Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman. So, 
uh, it'll be really interesting to see what they can get. They have 11 picks, and, and I think eight of them are from the fourth to the sixth round this year. So uh, that's going to be where they make their hay, not early on. Coming up about the 50-minute mark here, so I don't want to. I don't want to keep. Uh, I don't want to keep folks around because we've got a lot more. Uh, we got a lot more stuff uh, on the horizon, and we'll do this again next week. And uh, we've got a lot more to talk about with a week to go before the draft. Almost there. Just looking forward. <laughs> almost to the finish line. <laughs> yeah, so it feels like <laughs> almost there. The marathon is almost over. Guys, take care. Um, watch for more breakdowns from Stephen coming up on the site this week. Uh, check out Jordan Phillips went up today. The nose tackle out of Oklahoma, Stephen. Um, some thoughts, some quick thoughts on Jordan Phillips. Well, I think he's a, a true nose tackle. Probably going to excel in a, a three-four system. Could probably play in a four-three system as well, but still would have to be that nose tackle. He's he's limited as a pass rusher. Uh, he's a big, strong guy. But I was a little bit concerned because uh, one team he played against had a pretty good center, and he didn't look you know nearly as dominant as he did in the other game. So. I think he's 6'5 and like 330. Yeah. So you can't coach that. So somebody's going to take a, a chance on this kid. I'm just not sure it's going to be in the first round. Yeah. And he's a big – he's at the first line of the breakdown. He's a big old boy, and he is that. He's, he's that that nose tackle form that you see, that the mold for the nose tackle. But he's one of the, he's another one of those guys that's going to be interesting. You know, he could, like you said in the in the piece, he could go – some team that really needs that feels like they're a nose tackle away from making a deep run in the playoffs could 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 draft him early and then you know he might be more of he's probably better off as a second round pick but it's the draft so you never know and uh, <laughs> we'll talk about some draft surprises next week on the podcast but uh, right now we're gonna wrap it up and uh, send everybody on their way guys thanks for joining us again today thanks for having us. Always. And uh, take care, guys, and we'll see you around. Welcome back to the uh, Onside Kick Family Hour, and I'm very pleased to bring on our next uh, our next person of interest for you here. It's the one, the only, PFT commoner. PFT, how you doing today, buddy? Humbled to be here, Ryan. Thank you for having me on again. Hey, speaking of humbled, I saw you got the, uh, got the big Danny Woodhead shout-out. Yeah, you know, um, that was a... Uh... It was, I'd, I'd like to say it was the highlight of my life, uh, hearing back from Danny and knowing that he's just as big a fan of me as I am of him. Um, I, on one hand, I, I kind of, you know, I think maybe Danny shouldn't really read his own press clippings that much. He should pay attention to, uh, to all the noise out there on Twitter. I think he should be uh, spending less time on his phone and more time in the gym. Um, but I guess if you're going to read one NFL analyst, I'm glad that he's reading me. Yeah, you know, it's hard. I mean, you know, his agent probably collects that stuff, too, and sends it to him. I mean, he, he still does have an agent, and then that's sort of the agent's job. And I wonder, you know what would be interesting? So the ultimate. I, I, was, is I was also disappointed to hear that Danny had an agent. I just always figured he was the kind of guy who was like, okay, you know, whatever you want to offer me, I, I'm going to look you in the eye, and that's good enough for me. A man's handshake's all I need. Um, and just kind of sign on the dotted line and, and trust somebody else, to be honest with you, you know? Yeah, uh, that was a bit of a surprise. That yeah, not, not a surprise. Uh, so between that and how he kind of grew his hair out last year, um, I'm starting to, you know, I've got my eye on Danny a little bit. I think he got a haircut in the off season, so he's looking, you know, a little bit more midwestern. Back That's to, true. Back to his Nebraska roots. But you know, there is another guy with long hair. You know who else had long hair that people like to write off, and they really shouldn't have written him off. Jesus. That's right, Jesus. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. 
just a long-haired dude that wore robes around. And, you know, that's that to me, that screams character issues. But look how that turned out. Everything seemed to be okay. Yeah, exactly. My, my Jesus, uh, he, you know, he was against the money changers and was an agent. That's a money changer, that's right? True. That's true. Uh, I'm so, surprised agents are, don't collect interest. Well, I, I mean, you never know with some of these guys. But, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was truly humbled to see what Danny had to say. And, uh, Danny, if you're listening... Um, just like you to uh, to you know maybe turn this podcast off and you know put on a workout mix and and get back to the squat rack. Get back to it. Well, and let's not dwell on our own press clippings too much here. PFT, we've got a it's a busy time in the NFL world. We've got a lot to talk about, and it's, the draft is oh what eight days away from today, and that's obviously the big thing on everybody's mind right now. But I want to go back to something else that I think it was sort of an interesting news item today. Marvin Lewis got a contract extension. Yeah, um, that is the surprise of the century. I had I had actually bet a thousand dollars that Marvin Lewis was going to get fired last year uh, because if, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a, a that's right, Jason Campbell. He is a serial coach killer, and um, I guess he was working on a streak of five coaches in a row that had been fired at the end of the seasons, and somehow I don't know how he tricked uh, uh, the owner. Is it Mike Brown? Mike Brown, yeah. I don't know how he tricked Mike Brown into into giving Lewis an extension. Maybe Mike Brown, senile, and Campbell's kind of, you know, the guy who's taking advantage of him a little bit. But um, Marvin got an extension somehow and broke the the string of coach killings that Jason Campbell has done. Um, you know, I, I think as long as you keep Marvin Lewis around, you're going to uh, Marvin Lewis is the opiate of the masses. He's going to, <laughs> he's going to put up an eight and eight or a nine and seven season. And it's just going to be good enough for him to never, ever get fired. But guess what? It's not going to do anything for you. Uh, it's just going to – you're going to keep going to the games and keep saying, okay, well, we got this next year. And he's going to be playing into December and maybe into early January, but you're never going to go anywhere. But he's going to be just good enough to keep his job. Well, yeah, that and, you know, Mike Brown – obviously Mike Brown doesn't have to pay him like 5 or $6 million a year like you would, you know. Exactly. You're Jeff Fishers and Bill Belichick's. You're truly elite head coaches like that. Marvin Lewis is probably the worst negotiator in the league, which is why I think uh, Mike Brown likes him so much. Uh, absolutely. Now, that might be a guy who does – speaking of guys that don't have an agent, it might, Marvin Lewis might not have an agent with – keeps making deals like that with Mike Brown. So Yeah, Marvin Lewis's answering machine says, I'll take it. Absolutely. And you notice, um, I noticed Jan- Jason Campbell, that not only did Marvin Lewis break the curse, Jason Campbell, not on an NFL roster right now. And Tim Tebow is. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that's a, little, that's a bit refreshing. Moving on, you know, talking a little bit about Tebow. Definitely. I touched on this in the MMBM, but it's great to see finally a, uh, a white quarterback get a shot at the, uh, at the dual threat position. Um, I, I don't know how much you're a student of the history of the game. But the NFL has – it's a really ugly history of racism, Ryan. Yeah. Um, dating back all the way to the 1990s, they wouldn't allow white Christian men to play running quarterback. And I think I think it goes back to the whole um, white men can't jump thing. Um, back, what was that, like 91, 92, Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes? 92, I believe. Uh, that set race relations back 50 years. Um, if, if you think white men can't jump, uh, I would I would challenge you to go to an OAR concert, and um, and I think you change your mind about that pretty quickly. I also think that uh, you can look at guys like uh, your Matt Joneses and your Julian Edelmans, 
um, great quarterbacks, off the field leaders, and they got steered away from traditionally uh, more African American positions <laughs> like quarterback. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And they got they got put out at possession receiver. Um, and another stereotype, uh, just a stereotype against, against white players in the NFL. And I think now that Tebow is signed by the Eagles, you're going to see some barriers get broken here. Um, but until like, uh, until the Jamaican Olympic team has a white sprinter or until history books acknowledge Obama as, as being the first half white president, I think we still have a lot of work to do before we can move into a post-racial society. Yeah, and you know he's. He, it's interesting that he's connected to, again with Riley Cooper, his teammate at the University of Florida, and you, that's something you also touched on in the MMBM this week. Can you imagine what what those team meetings were like with Cooper Hernandez and Tim Tebow <laughs> and and Percy Harvin and the Pounces? Yeah, and the Pounces. How did how did anybody survive? <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that's maybe Tebow. I mean, Tebow is the positive influence that really ties the room together like that. You know, I, I used to always think that Urban Meyer was a bit of a um, a bit of a me first kind of uh, worry wart and a, a guy that just couldn't stay out of the training room. But I think that spending two years with that group that'll give anybody a stroke, and I'm I'm not I, I don't blame him anymore. I think now he's up in a better situation in Ohio State, but. Uh, being in that locker room, yeah, I probably would have had a couple of aneurysms as well. <laughs> um, so another question for you here. How hungover were you this morning after celebrating the big schedule release last night? Um, well, you know the phrase, hair of the dog. That's, yeah. Yeah, so I had a, a couple cold ones here. Actually, I got my bottles right in front of me. Excellent. Uh, pretty hungover, I'd say, uh, you know, a, a six out of ten. The schedule release is a big deal, but I think that the NFL has kind of dropped the ball in, in the way that they handle uh, releasing it. Mm-hmm. I think there could be a lot more fanfare, like there is, you know, around the NFL draft where they split it up into three days. I think you could get at least three days of coverage out of the schedule release party, and you know, you could release the the, the uh, Thursday night schedule first, and then you could do the Sunday night, and then yeah. the Monday night after that. I think that it's got a lot of legs to it, and the NFL should probably look to um, to, to capitalize on that and sell sponsorships and things like that. That you'll probably see that next year. Yeah, I was really disappointed that they were only able to get a three-hour television show out of it. I, I think I, I think the NFL is really missing a golden opportunity here. They are the schedule release. It's great. It's like uh, it's like you know looking forward to. Um, to your wedding day, pretty much, you know, mm-hmm. or, if, or if you're a Raiders fan, it's like looking forward to your execution. Um, so it's it's something to, to look forward to. And I think that that sense of hope is something that the NFL could really stand to capitalize a lot more on, you know, making a black tie affair, uh, maybe yeah. maybe host it in a stadium and sell tickets to it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the perfect kind of thing to do at the where you went on a tour once last year, Jerry World in Dallas. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, you could you could sell out. Um, Cowboys Stadium, AT&T Stadium, easily for that. Mm-hmm. They're just nuts there. And it'd, it'd probably be the it would be the best show that that stadium has ever seen. I think that's probably true too. Yeah. Now you noticed you jotted down a few interesting notes about the upcoming 2015 schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, what really stood out to you about this? Um, so you're going to have Peyton Manning and you're going to have Tom Brady facing off again. Nah. And now I for I'm sick of watching those two play. I don't know about you, but I, I think that it's overplayed, 
and the nation doesn't want to see those two go at it anymore. Have they actually played against each other? I, I kind of forgot. I didn't, yeah, so oh, yeah, that's right. It's I don't know if you could even call it a rivalry the way that that Tom Brady has really bent Peyton Manning over for the last you know twenty years of his life. It's like. You know, I get it. You don't want to watch. Uh, you don't want to watch France, or you don't want to watch uh, Brazil lose seven nothing again in the World Cup. Um, <laughs> why? Why do you keep putting Peyton through this? It's kind of mean, I think. Yeah, I, I, I prefer those the Brady Manning matchups in the playoffs, even though that almost guarantees that Brady's going to win the whole thing. Like Terry Bradshaw said when you saw Terry Bradshaw in concert. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was really, really happy to see that we're going to get another Titans-Jaguars primetime matchup. Ah, yes, definitely. That is uh, a tradition unlike any other in the NFL. Um, you know, on one hand, you have uh, – it gives the family man an excuse to to spend some time with his family on a yeah. instead of, of watching it. But for the real diehard NFL fan, it gives them a good opportunity to uh, to just let everybody know what a bad fan everybody else is being. Yeah, definitely. You know, if you if you're able to make it through the Titans Jaguars matchup, you can make it anywhere. Did you? Would you even? I mean, is that even worth um, a habanero lima rita mad dog for that game? Oh, absolutely. That's. I mean, if I were to make it, put a scale in terms of how many I would need to drink, I think I'd probably need one mad dog per quarter. Oh, wow! No, we should do. Uh, we should send me to go to the Jaguars Titans Thursday night game. And turn it into a big, spectacular media extravaganza. That's not a bad idea. That yeah. is not a bad idea at all. And that's in that's Thursday, November nineteenth. So that should be. Uh, we've got uh, we've got plenty of time to plan that out. Let me check my schedule. I got yeah, I got nothing going on. So, <laughs> uh, uh, nothing uh, going on on Thursday in November. I would be happy to go there and treat it like the uh, the Super Bowl of, of bad NFL games. The the Super Bowl of shit that it is, definitely. You know, I don't know if Toby Gerhardt's going to be the starting running back um, like he was last year. That was the main reason why I watched it last year, to just see him uh, him just corn feed all over the Titans. Mm-hmm. That's probably not going to happen again this year unless something, something weird happens. But uh, I'm sure that there will be plenty of storylines. You've got Blake Bortles going up against Phillip Rivers probably. Um, I'm just penciling Rivers in as the as the Tennessee quarterback next Not year. Not a bad idea at this point. Yeah. Hey, did you um did you happen to see the Warren Sapp video? Uh, this wasn't a video of him tackling prostitutes, was it? It wasn't a video of him tackling prostitutes, but it was a video of him talking about prostitutes. Interesting. I know I have not seen that. Where is where? What happened? Fill me in on the. It's, on, it's on our nation's premier sports website, TMZ. You can go there right now and check it out. It's uh, it's Warren Sapp being interviewed by the Maricopa Police Department after after he got arrested for I guess assaulting prostitutes. Uh-huh. Um, so basically, he's just sitting down in a chair and admitting to them everything that he did because in Warren Sapp's mind, he's just broing out with these cops and he's telling them, uh, "Yeah, this girl was doing this to me, and this girl made me wear a condom, and then the other girl was talking too much, so I told her to go take a shit, and then I paid him each three hundred dollars, and then they asked me for a tip." And I pushed him. And he's expecting the cops to high-five him, <laughs> dap him up, and be like, yeah, yeah, my man. That's what that's what's up. But in reality, the cops are like, well, thank you for confessing to your crime. And uh, then Warren Sapp's all confused about that. But, um, I mean, it, in, in my opinion, getting a couple prostitutes, like, why do you lose your job for that if you're at the Super Bowl? That's kind of like a, a boys-will-be-boys type situation. I, the Atlanta Falcons would make him a starter. Exactly, yeah. When you go to the Super Bowl, you're supposed to get hookers. 
that's that's what you do. Um, which reminds me, I probably need to submit my expense report to SB Nation. <laughs> now you're gonna have to get really creative with that one. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I was out to dinner with a client. That's right. That's you. You you have to at least ask the hooker if Joe Flacco is elite in order to qualify for. That's the first. Now. That's the first thing that I say. That's how I can tell if they're a cop. If they say no, do you take your business elsewhere? No, if they say no, they're a cop. Ah, so it's good, like saying, good. It, yeah, if you if if you ask them, it's entrapment. Otherwise. Interesting. That's that's it's good to know. That's good to know. Hey, speaking of entrapment and speaking of the draft, we've got uh, we've got Jameis Winston back in the news again lately. Yeah, he had a hookup apparently for the crab legs. Yeah. Did you did you watch that interview with Jim Harbaugh? I did. I did. It's kind of weird, wasn't it? Yeah, it was weird to see Harbaugh used in that way. I guess you know. He likes to work as much as anybody, but, you know, to sit down and have the one-on-one conversation with Winston. And the totally confused look on his face when Winston explained that he had a hookup at Publix for the crab legs. Yes, no crab. Um, I, I thought it was really strange how Paul was coaching Jameis Winston on how to lie without really lying to the uh, NFL GMs that were going to be interviewing him. Yeah. And, um, and they asked him, like, if he had a sex addiction, did you see that part? No, I did not see that. You didn't see that part? Yeah. Well, you'll have to pull up a vine. It's uh, it's on my Twitter from last night. But Harbaugh was like, "Okay, well, you know, they're going to drill into you. They're going to say you got a you got a sex addiction. You addicted to sex. You got a problem with sex. You sex at it. You got a sex addiction." And just like rapid fire, spit those questions at him. And I was the whole time I was like, "Can you imagine dating Jim Harbaugh's daughter?" And showing up on that first night and, like, how intimidated you would be. Oh, man. I mean, I, I wouldn't let Jim Harbaugh's daughter date me. And I can't imagine how he would react to, to seeing me show up to, to pick her up. Does he have a daughter? I think he does. Yeah, I think I think his kids are, like, young, though. I mean, I You ever like see a guy and you're like, I bet if he had a daughter, she'd be hot? Is that weird that I think that sometimes? Uh, you know, I, I think you know you're uh, the average NFL fan, you know, and you like Jim Harbaugh. It, it's he's gritty. I mean, it's probably just a natural extension, no pun intended, of what you would uh, of what you would think about. With like guys. Greg Schiano's daughter. I don't know if he has one, but if Greg Schiano had a daughter, I think it would look like a fire hydrant exploded on her face. I don't think that that would be nothing that I would want to go near. But but Harbaugh to me screams. You know, I could see uh, I could see him making a, an attractive daughter. But now Greg Schiano, if Greg Schiano had a daughter, could be a real lunch pail type date. Yeah, she would be. Um, she'd be pretty intimidating. I don't know if I could. We, every date would have to be at Golden Corral, I think, with her. Yeah, they really. That's maybe that's how the, they could revive the Rich Eyes and Free Agent app. It's just be sort of for elite NFL commentators and insiders matched up with coaches' daughters, coaches' daughters and sons. It'd be. It would be that's the a, that's perfect a good, way. I like that. She's a real coach's daughter out there, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think maybe we should start a Kickstarter after this for that. That might be – it's bound to be funded in this in this crazy tech environment in which we live. Yeah, so um, I thought it was – I thought that whole special with Jim Harbaugh was kind of strange. Like uh, he was just basically preparing Jameis Winston for the draft, and not one time did he say, hey, um, here's a piece of advice. Why don't you fly your sick family members up to the draft like a professional – and uh, and be there in person. Don't skip your first day of work. Exactly. That's all he's doing. He's like, yeah, he's he's thumbing his nose. I heard that on the radio yesterday, too. It was, uh, I forget which, maybe somebody film, filling in for Colin Cowherd saying that Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, if they have family members that they want to be with, 
they should just fly all their family members to Chicago because you're skipping your first day of work. And I think that was a pretty good take. Yeah, that is a good take. It, it is skipping your first day of work. And that's, as you've said before, and I, there again, you ahead of the curve on takes. Yeah, it's a copycat league. It's a copycat, and it's a copycat media environment, as yep. a matter of fact. It's not just, what's the, what was it, fake sports center or fake ESPN or whatever? That's a good example of the copycat. Yeah, big copycats, all those all those not sports center and fake Yes, sports. those things. That's Don't follow right. them, yeah. That's right. Nobody, it's it's hard to find original voices out there like you or Darren Rovell or guys like that. Frank Caliendo. Frank Caliendo, definitely, definitely. Another one, another one for the list there. Now, PFT... We decided to open this up a little bit to the peanut gallery for today's podcast. And uh, when I say peanut gallery, I, of course, am referring to um, the, the fine folks on Twitter.com. Yep. Let's go through some of the Twitter.com questions you received from an adoring public today. Let's do it. Where should we start? What, what, which, what, let's just pick some of the questions that really stood out to you. How, how about Greg? Greg uh, was, had, had a question about Brick McHenry. Okay. Is it Brick McHenry or is it Britt McHenry? I think it's Britt. Britt. B-R-I-T-T. Okay. Uh, yeah, he wanted to know, Greg wanted to know why is the world being reverse racist against her? Mm, yeah, good point. Um, it, it is a good point. You know, um, she, is, she is white. And so anytime, you know, somebody is white and in the news for doing something bad that the alarm bells start to ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this case, I don't know if it's, it's a case of reverse racism so much as it is. I, I put the blame at the tow truck company. Mm-hmm. I think that whatever you say to a tow truck driver or to a tow truck worker should fall under like the same, um, the, the same realm as attorney client privilege. Mm-hmm. So you, Whatever you, you say to them, they can't use that against you. Uh, you're their client. Have you ever been towed? Um, no, I have not. I mean, not with not like you know, we're unless I called the tow truck. But no, it's, I haven't been towed as like a punitive thing. It's the worst. The the people that work at tow truck companies are the worst, and they're always angry at you. Um, I, so I think this should be like a free speech issue almost for her. Mm-hmm. Um, as as a member of the media, it's a two for violation of her First Amendment rights. Because it's got your freedom of speech and freedom of the press right in there. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I put the blame solely at the feet of the tow truck company. It, it's like if you're a tow truck company and you release a video of, um, of an angry customer, it's like if you're a funeral director mm-hmm. and you release a video of people crying and then you're like, oh, what a pussy. You know, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course they're crying, you know? I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. I got a little carried away there thinking about the, uh, the thinking about that scenario. Yeah, it, it's true. It's true. And you know what? Too, she's. I don't know if she still is, but the towing actually happened around the D.C. area, and she was based out of Washington for a while. And among the other beats, she covered uh, the Washington NFL team. I, I, I wonder if maybe there's a. Uh, Think Dan Dan Snyder thing at play here. We're going to put it past him. That guy is a marketing genius, and he knows exactly how to get back at people that cross him by reporting. You know, if somebody reports something uh, negative and true about his team, he will either promote you until you're out of town, or he will just slander you in the media. Yeah, that's right. Or, or, uh, or you know, get you on the six ten man cave or whatever that show is, or something. Yeah. 
exactly. weird Washington media thing. He, he might have had something to do with that, yeah. No, I can't imagine. And, and you probably, you know, Dan Snyder owns a lot of stuff there. I bet if you, uh, if you really ran the traps on that, I don't wonder if you might find Dan Snyder owning um, some tow companies in the DMV. You know what? That would be a genius move on his part. Yeah, it's not. If it's I, if somebody, I get, some reporter should really get to the bottom of that. If I get billions of dollars, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to own a tow truck company and just tow everybody that I don't like personally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's glad, I'm glad we got to address the Britt McHenry question. I don't, I don't think that story really got much coverage, so it, it's good that we uh, we got it on the open here on the on the family. I'm hour. Uh, let's go to the next. Let's. What's the next question on your list, PFT? Uh, let's see. Um, there was one from Mark Cross. All right. He says, everyone who smoked weed before the combine is going to murder someone. I'll hang up and listen. Well, interesting take. I think, I think that's a good take. Uh, yeah. A lot of red flags out there. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about the drug test being an idiot test since, you know, it says that you're an idiot if you don't draft a guy just because he smoked weed. You know what's common. What's that? I, the, the, those guys know. I mean, they, they, you know that you're going to the oh, yeah, combine yeah. in February, and there's going to be a drug test there. Yeah, you know, you know the drug test is coming. Um, so me personally, I've never failed a drug test just because I've never had a job that required me to take a drug test. That's positive. Most most of the good jobs out there in America these days are ones where you're kind of expected to be high. Even though I don't I don't smoke drugs, um, no one's ever really showed me how to smoke drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'd be good at it if I tried. But uh, I've, I've never I've never failed a drug test. But if I knew that one was coming, I would make sure that I was I was so clean that that you could eat you know you could eat off of my urethra. Um, that's that's the, my mindset. I get ready to go to work. I pack a lunch pail. I do my homework. Um, you know, like back in did you ever see Playmakers? Oh yeah, definitely. So when DH would get his drug test, he would actually have his doctor inject clean urine into his urethra up into his bladder. Mm-hmm. Because he was smoking crack before games, so he didn't want to get caught. And, you know, say what you want about, you know, smoking crack before NFL games, but you have to admire a guy's dedication to his craft that the team doctor was willing to to do that because that's just that's disgusting to think about. But I would probably do that to myself even if I knew I was clean because I don't want to take any chances. Yeah, it's, it's, not a bad, it's never a bad idea because – you just never know what they're going to look for these days. I mean, maybe today it's weed, tomorrow it's whatever. And, and you know, Nancy Reagan had it right. Weed is a gateway drug. Just say no. That's right. And, you know, what they do is they, they freeze your urine, and then years later they're going to go back and they're going to retest it to see if, you know, there's something that they can find that they didn't know about. So it's like, you know, if Obama declares himself king or whatever, who knows what he's going to outlaw in this country and maybe – He's going to say that sure. uh, you don't have the freedom to enjoy Skoll or Copenhagen, in which case then all of my records would have been retroactively denied. Yeah. So, um, so better safe than sorry. I just take saline solution, heat it up to about 98.7 degrees, and I just jam it up there myself. So I'm <laughs> better safe than sorry. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point, PFT. Once again, it's a... Uh... You really you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, hey, as a um, as a Rams fan, and yes, someone that follows the team, I, I'd like to hear your take on what's going on with the uh, with the Carson uh, California situation. If you, if you think that's going to stop the Rams, I don't know. 
know. It seems like Stan Kroenke's got the 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 golden egg of Los Angeles stadium plans right now, and he's got a viable way to pay for it. They've got the land. He owns the land, and they've got a plan um, that's not just a stadium. It's like a complex. It's an entertainment complex, and it just it looks like the the kind of place the NFL would love to host Super Bowls. Right. So is he paying for that, or yeah, is he and his, his the Stockbridge Capital Partners are paying for it. Okay, so the the Carson Stadium, where the Raiders and Chargers might move into, that that might be publicly funded, right? No, it's supposedly it's going to be. And this is there's there's not really a lot of details on the funding out there, but supposedly they've got financing, private financing, for okay, it, secured through Goldman Sachs. The good name, the good people at Goldman Sachs, I think, yeah. are gonna gonna help them get a bridge loan to pay $1.7 billion for uh, Mark Davis and, and Dean like Spanos to have a, have a little playpen there. I like it. So one thing, I, I think that the teams, um, I'm actually in favor of publicly financed stadiums. Yeah, definitely. I think they should explore more of those options. And it's kind of one of those goes both ways situations, because if you look at the stats, government welfare, it spends almost five times as much money on welfare for poor people as it does for rich people. Yeah. And where's the equality in that? Well, these guys, and it's a point that you've hit before. Who are the job creators? Exactly, yeah. And and I was actually, I was tuned into The Herd this morning, listening to some Colin Cowherd. I, I was um, doing leg day at the gym and had my uh, my Walkman on and was <laughs> kind of checking out The Herd and seeing what he was saying. He had Chris Mortensen on there. Mm-hmm. And um, Mortensen actually said that if Stan Cranky moves the Rams to Los Angeles, he would have to pay the owners $500 million out of his pocket. Interesting. Because it would, it would negatively affect their team's values to no longer have the Los Angeles market be open. So he would just have to say, write a check for $500 million. And I, I like to make an analogy. It's like I, I was married a while back, mm-hmm. and my wife, you know, like a lot of women do, they, they have their ex-boyfriend that, you know, she just – you know, go to watch a movie with or, like, eat a few dinners with, you know, each week, you know, just as friends. Yeah, yeah. Deal. But um, having that guy as an option for her because he was around, even though I knew she'd never do anything with him, uh, made me step my game up to keep her happy. So I, I'd do stuff that I normally wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. I'd shower more often. I'd shave my body hair in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second that ex-boyfriend got married to somebody new, I basically didn't even have to have sex with her anymore. And she didn't have any recourse. She was, you know, that option was off the table. So, so we're divorced. It hurts your value. Right. So we're divorced, but that's what the league's doing here. Um, they're trying to make Stan Cranky have sex with all the other owners' wives to keep them happy if he does move his team to L.A. by paying out $500 million. And interestingly enough to note, the NFL does not consider Viagra a performance-enhancing drug. It doesn't? No. But extends is. And that's and and you'd think with Jimmy Johnson's backing, extends would get the would get a green light from the league. Exactly, I, I like the the commercials where it advertises extends and says that one of the selling points is that it's banned by the NFL. <laughs> well, so's Adderall, but you know the kids are still taking the Adderall, and so are the Seattle pharmacy hawks. Oh yeah, you you can't keep a prescription away from those guys. They're, that team should be sponsored not by Skittles but by Sudafed. Yeah, it's like the Glaxo Welco Seahawks. There, not not so much Seattle. But I just like to say for the record, though, I've I've never used Extends. 
No, and why? Well, you're a healthy young man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's Just, no, I, you know, we're really not in the target yeah. demographic for extends. I wouldn't think. I wonder, although I did hear um, a, a cool story about how uh, extends got sued a while back. Uh huh. This might have something to do with why the NFL outlawed it. But um, when when it first came out, you know, they say that they would they would give you six months supply for free, mm-hmm. and all you had to do was pay for shipping and handling. I mean, I heard this like from a friend. It's not like it, this wasn't me that I'm talking about here. But um, you had to pay for six months of shipping, which was like sixty dollars, and they would send you a pill for every day for those six months. And then when you try to cancel, they would make you do stuff like go to a doctor mm-hmm. and get a doctor's note saying that. Um, your penis hadn't gotten bigger over the last six months. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have to send that back, back to extends and um, they would send you a check that had like a really gross name on it that you would be embarrassed to take to your bank. Uh-huh. And so, you know, the, the activist um, uh, trade commissions got involved in the SECs and, and sued extends for a couple hundred million dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's, that's the story behind behind extends marketing that they put out. So then they had to switch it up and get guys like a Jimmy Johnson or classy guys like that circle and what have you to to advertise for him. Yeah, definitely. Well, Jimmy Johnson, he's a Super Bowl winning football coach. Exactly. I mean, how much more masculine can you get? Exactly. I'm really kind of surprised he needed that at all, to be honest with you. He probably didn't. He was just, uh, you know, it's one of those things where if you're Bill Gates, you know, you, you still want to go out there and make more billions of dollars. So yeah. just because he was pushing, you know, 11 inches doesn't mean that he can't always be bigger. Man's got to make a buck. He's a competitor, Ryan. That's right. He's gritty. Gritty, gritty, gritty. Um, it, seems the, it seems here in the studio the mailman has arrived and the dogs are going slightly crazy. So we'll, uh, always a fun part of the day for me. But what, uh, what else do we have from the people on the Twitters? Uh... I let's see. Hang on, I'll have to I'll have to go. Do you have anything right in front of you? Um, you know, it it's a it appears do uh we have some news and it, it seems like that uh the federal judge has finally signed off on the NFL retired player concussion settlement. So what does that mean? Um, it means that they have worked out uh the settlement to get uh to to you know for the long-term health care for retired players. And it's also, it protects the shield, this settlement does. They don't have to acknowledge that, uh, that CTE exists. You know what, Ryan? So here's the whole thing about CTE. Number, Are we just making it up? Number one is no doctor has actually said that CTE exists, mm-hmm. if you do not work about it. Um, these are the same doctors that try to sell you vaccines that will... Um, just line their pockets with money. And in reality, do you know what a vaccine is? A vaccine is actually a little bit of the disease that it's supposed to prevent. And common sense just tells you that why would you inject yourself with the same thing that you're trying to stop? You know, just making us sicker. It's, it, exactly. It's like abstinence education. You don't, you don't tell somebody that it's okay to do certain kinds of sex, but not others. Um, it's the exact same thing as that. And, and as far as CTE goes, you know, we used to just call people uh, punch drunk or we'd just call them crazy and stupid mm-hmm. and we'd kick them out of our families. You know, now, nowadays you have to put a, a label around everything and, um, and, and get, you know, give them their own protected class. You know, just because somebody's insane 
Um, you know, there's a difference between being insane and being crazy. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of these old players just have a, a case of the crazies. Well, here's another theory for you. I think this was all just an attempt to hamstring the Pitts, Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's interesting. Go I mean, on. They, they have an interest. You know, Tomlin's an old school coach. The Steelers are an old school, fo- as you know, are an old school football organization. They do things the right way. You rub some dirt in it. You get back on the field. You're there to help your team. You're not there to take care of your brain. Football's exactly. not, a, not football's not a thinking man's sport. You don't need it. You Mike Tomlin and those guys, they just want you back out on the field. It's it's more important to win those games than you know to do Sudoku puzzles when you're in in your sixties. So you you I think this is just a checks and balances thing. You don't run for a first down with your brain. That's right. For a first down with your hips and with your shoulders and your pads. Um, you know, if, uh, if a brain was so important, God would have given us two of them. That's right. That's right. And you know, it, the brain regenerates itself. I feel, I can feel, you feel those cells just bubbling back to life a day or two after you, you know, the day after two, after a mad dog. We started, we started out this podcast talking about a little hair of the dog. And I think that maybe one thing that science hasn't even looked at is, you know, after you get a concussion, you feel woozy, you feel tired, you know, you're sensitive to lights. That to me sounds exactly like a hangover, Ryan. Absolutely. I, th- I think what science needs to look at is maybe taking players that have mild concussions and giving them a really small concussion the morning after, um, kind of like a hair of the dog. That's and right. You, you know what? They'd probably feel a million times better and, and be ready to go. I, I It's hard not to agree, PFT, did, and it's, did, it did, makes did, me so- sad that we just, it's, it's this. It's this world we live in today. Obama's America. That just it just wants to wipe out football. That's the I name think, of the game here. I think we just solved CTE. Yeah. Uh, any NFL team out there that wants to bring me on as a neuroscientist, uh, I don't have a degree or whatever. But you know, a degree is just a fancy way of saying I, I paid a, a school to tell me that I'm good at something. Um, but just bring me on, and I will be in charge of administering mild concussions to your players the day after they sustain a major concussion um, to try to even them out and bring them back to zero instead of going from that, uh, you know, a freight train going to a brick wall of being really, really concussed and then having no concussions. Yeah. Um, you want to, you want to space out those concussions and bring you back. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, really, um, I, man, I can't think of the doctor's name right off the top of my head, but, uh, you are as easily as qualified, as easily qualified as the guy that they used to have on the, um, on on as their lead man on head injuries in the NFL, Elliot Pellman. That's his name. Well, Elliot Pellman. Thank you. I, I think that I am too. All right. Hey, I do. I did find a couple more questions from the readers. These are these are good, quick questions. We can burn through some of them here. Fire. Best flavor of Mad Dog Twenty Twenty. Habanero Limerita. Habanero Limerita. What's number two? Number two. Um, I'm going to go with. Uh, Electric melon. No, no, no. Blue, bling, bling, blue raspberry. Ooh, interesting. Interesting choice. Is habanero limerita spicy? It's, yeah, it's got a little bit of a burn to it. It's a regional flavor. Mm-hmm. So um, you might not be able to get it where you live. Yeah, I can't. They don't have it here. They don't have that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's good. It's It's got the right balance of spice and sweetness um, to really Excellent. kick you over that edge. There you go. It's a good way to get ready for an NFL Sunday. Oh, here's a good one, PFT. Yeah. What cool and funny mime should an NFL team tweet out next? Oh, you mean like the uh, the, the Kermit Frog, none of my business? Yes. That uh, that the, the Redskins did? 
Uh huh. So the Redskins really screwed that up because they didn't even put any cool any cool cut downs or anything on it. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't, they without context even. They I think had that, no context in the tweet or anything. I think that the Browns should tweet out Goatsy. Interesting. And why is that? Right. Right. Say, right. Do you know what Goatsy is? No. Say again. G O A T S E. The greatest of all time. No, no, Goatsy. If you are you on a are, are you on a safe computer? Is your wife going to get mad at you for? Bad internet searches. Let me look up. Let me pull up an incognito. This isn't. A, I fell for a Bofa thing once. No, 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 no. Just it, it, Goatsy. It's a meme. Okay, let me see it here. And SB Nation podcast listeners, here's Ryan's reaction to seeing Goatsy. Ah, yes. Now it all <laughs> looks very familiar. Oh, they've Goatsy cookies. If you do an image search for this on that's YouTube. gross. That's really gross. So yeah, the Browns should tweet out Goatsy. Oh, that's a good way to tie that good good thing to tie into their new brown and orange uniforms. Exactly, yeah. That's a good strat on my part. I, I think. think so too. Here's a good one. What does it mean? This is from John Lee. What does it mean for Gronk that he shred uh, shared a I think he means shared shared a position with multi murderer like Hernandez? Bad character, in my opinion. Um. I think Gronk is like a goldfish. I think he's, his short-term memory is about four seconds. So I, I don't really blame him. You don't bring Gronk around to police your locker room. You bring Gronk around to um, to do the play that you call for him and then to catch a ball and then 30 seconds later forget the score. That's Gronk. That's his role on the team. So, no, I don't blame him at all. I think he's a great player. There you go. Um, ooh, here's a good one. This is um, Jay Mariotti, obviously known for his hot takes. You've written about Jay Mariotti in the past, PFT. Uh, who was better at social ex- – this is from Man versus Rock. Who do you think was better at social experiments, quote-unquote social experience, Mariotti or Adolf Hitler? I guess that all depends on how you define better. Mm-hmm. Um, Hitler certainly had more readers than Jay Mariotti. He had more followers. Um, he probably treated women a little bit more kindly than Jay Mariotti treats mm-hmm. women. Um, so I, I'm going to uh, go with Hitler on this one. All right. Well, there you go. Thoroughly outclasses Mariotti. Blake is Blake Bortles elite? Uh, no, easy, easy, easy one. Um, let's see. Oh, we actually Chip Kelly, one of the apostles. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm going to say yeah, Saint Chip. Well, there you go. Yeah. More lethal American sniper, Chris Kyle or I, Patriot I, 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 Aaron Hernandez. I just want to say that Chip Kelly, he is spreading the gospel of Tim Tebow. I would say that he's probably. He's more up-tempo than any of the other uh, apostles. I think the other apostles took like 40 years to write down their stories or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Chip Kelly would have just – he would have taken a picture of Jesus in a man. He would have had a poster with it split into four corners. One was Jesus in a manger. One was Jesus uh, working in the carpenter shop. The next one would be Jesus on the cross. And then the fourth corner would be Jesus rising. And that would be his gospel. Um, he would get it done quicker. He'd have that up-tempo scripture going. Uh, much more efficient than than your Marks or your Lukes or your Davids. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he would probably have Jesus believing in his, buying into his system. Even. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows what Jesus what he could have accomplished if he had uh, if he had had a little coaching from Chip. Definitely. What would have been in Jesus's smoothie that Chip Kelly would make? Ah, wine, holy bread. water, water, wine, fish, and bread. I definitely just blend it up into one. Maybe some olives. Just because it's, you know, the Middle East. 
No, Jesus, Jesus was American. That's true. He was a white guy. People forget Oops. that. He was. Okay, next question. Next question. Let's see. We talked about Marvin Lewis. Ooh, good, good call commenter with some internet commenter, Michael. So we already talked about which superhero best embodies the lunch pail mentality. Oh, lunch pail mentality superhero. Um, Captain America. Captain America is pretty good. I'm not as the versed, Toxic Avenger. I'm not as versed in Captain America lore as I should be. Um, you know, I'd say definitely not Batman because he's he's wealthy, he's a socialite, he's one of the upper crust elites. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would lean more towards your uh, maybe towards your Ninja Turtles. Are they superheroes? I they seem pretty super to me. I'm going to lean towards the Ninja Turtles. You know, they work down. They're not afraid to do the dirty job. They uh, they work down in the sewer. They just eat you know cheap pizza that's delivered to them, um, and they they follow the instructions of a real gym rat. So I'm going to go with the Ninja Turtles. Absolutely. Well, PFT, we are approaching the end of our time together for this week. Do you have any? The draft is next week. You're heading off to Chicago next week. Um, any bold predictions? Uh, I, you know, I think that the real winner is going to be the city of Chicago. And I did a little bit of scouting last weekend. Mm-hmm. I made a trip up to Chicago to just kind of check it out before. Mm-hmm. And um, and let me tell you, that place is it's it's ready for the draft. It's getting draft town set up already. Wow. Um, this that place is draft. It's a draft town, is what it is. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, you know. I, I think. Did you hear about the the Uber incident in Chicago? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So an Uber driver stopped a mass shooting because he had a concealed handgun on him and shot the guy. Yeah. It's really close to where I was at the time. Um, but I think that that's it's a case study for deregulation right there. Uh, that government shouldn't have a say in whether you're allowed to drive a cab, operate mm-hmm. a firearm, practice medicine. Um, you know, if you're if you're a bad surgeon, the free market's going to root you out eventually. Yeah. And I think that uh, I, I think that Chicago is is the right town for the NFL. Is Chicago a is it a better place for the draft than the than New York? Uh, yeah, I, I would say definitely so. It's, I mean, I've always kind of thought of it. It's like a lunch pail version of New York. Everybody's like 25 pounds heavier than they are in New York. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, it's like a lunch trough version. I was in Wrigley Field and, um, you know, such a nostalgic environment. They have, yeah. the, they have the trough set up in the bathroom that everybody pees into. Oh, nice. Um, just a, re- a place where guys can be guys, you know? Yeah. It's like we're, a man, one big man cave. Exactly. We're just cracking some jokes in there and, you know, giving each other high fives while we peed. It was, it was refreshing. Absolutely. That's a, it's, I, it's, it seems like a natural home for the NFL draft to me and, and you'll be there next week reporting live on the scene. I'm really looking forward to that. Me too. It's going to be, it's going to be great. Well, PFT, Thanks again for your time and the enlightening information you've shared with us on the podcast today. We'll uh, get you out of here so you have time to work on a few more takes before you uh, before you hit the road to travel. Yeah, that sounds good, Ryan. Hey, thanks again. Humble.